The following show is being broadcasted from an undisclosed location. Two former special operators have combined their badassery and now sharing it with the world. They ain't alive no more. All with a beer and a smile. This is the Savage Actual Podcast. And now your hosts combat vets with 20 plus deployments between the two of them and enough testosterone to operate the power grid of Los Angeles. Savage Actual. Now your hosts, Jason and Patrick. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to the channel. This is the Savage Actual Podcast and YouTube channel. My name is Jason Lilly, Prior Marine. My co-host, Mr. Patrick Moultrip. What's up, buddy? Hoorah. Thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, we have a special guest with us today. A good friend of the channel, good friend of mine, Mr. Yusuf Badu. Hello, Yusuf. Semper Fidelis, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yusuf and uh, spent some time in the Marines myself. And uh, kind of why we brought this kind of story to bear today is I have some tracking experience teaching Marines to track out there and finding people and manhunting and all that fun stuff. And we all saw this story and thought, man, this is it's got a lot of action in this thing. It's like a movie. Yeah, for sure. So uh, today we're going to be talking about Mr. Cavalcante, the individual that was on the run in Pennsylvania, the uh, Brazilian fellow that uh, escaped from the prison. And what do you guys remember what the name of the town was in Pennsylvania? Uh, I it's a small town, man. It starts with uh, <laughs> starts with a C, dude. I, I actually, I think yeah. I'm thinking of the. Uh, I think it was prison. a township. So if that's any indicator, right. you know, township. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, the the prison escapee in Pennsylvania, we're going to be talking about that, and uh, you know, Jason and myself and and Badu all have uh, sort of backgrounds in that sort of thing, escaping from prisons. No, not really, but uh, you know. Like Yusuf said, he worked um, as a tracking instructor and human profiling instructor and actually owns his own company right now that specifically teaches profiling and a bunch of other stuff. And if you guys have seen in our War Stories and Beer episode from about a probably a year ago, we sat down with Yusuf and talked about him back then. And, and uh, so it's awesome to have him on here when we're talking about this individual this escapee from Brazil who was rolled up by the uh, Border Patrol Bortac team and Yoda the dog. And we'll we'll get into some of that stuff a little bit later. But uh, Jason, you want to start in on kind of oh, the yeah. early background a little bit of this guy? Yeah, a little bit. So to, to answer your question, he, it was Chester County Jail that he escaped from. Chester, um, there you go. And, and geographically, I don't know where that's at, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, it's a small state. But to back it up, you know, he's from a northern town in Brazil, uh, Danilo, and uh, in 2017, he got apprehended out there uh, for murder, and he escaped, and somehow, <laughs> I'd like to know those details, got to America, and I don't know if he came through the border of Mexico, I don't know exactly how we got uh, into it's America. It's hard to do nowadays. Yeah, yeah from hard. what I've seen, from what I had read, that's, he, he, he crossed from the Mexico. southern border. Yeah, crossed the southern border, had a fake ID, and so he he was actually already, like you said, he was already wanted in Brazil for a murder, but he didn't pop up on anything because he had a fake ID, and just, you know how it is these days, man, catch and release, and he uh, he went on his way, so. Yeah, he met, uh, through what means, I don't know, online dating, what night, met, met another Brazilian woman here in America, and they were together for a couple of years, uh, and super toxic abusive relationship um she she had two kids from a previous marriage and uh he ended up stabbing her sadly 38 times in front of her kids and that's what kicked us off he was uh detained and went to court was in this jail for nine days and then escaped so he was only there for nine days and dude dude escaped um which is well in the in the crazy thing was the crux of this, of him murdering her, was she found out about the murder in Brazil. Apparently, he had told her about it or, you know, she found out about it and threatened to go to the police. Yep. And that's what he, he so that was, killed her that because was, of that. 
that was the catalyst, huh? Holy shit. Yep. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, this dude sounds like a capable individual, right? Um, and a lot of people don't know that the dude is actually really small. He's only, which adds to this, I think, in my opinion, the dude's five foot one, 110 pounds. And if you haven't seen the video, I, I suggest Googling the actual escape video of him literally horizontally parkouring feet behind him on the wall, hands in front and used his body to shimmy up this wall vertically onto the roof, push the Constantina wire up and off and then, and then jumped from the roof. And that was literally uh, the start in, uh, in August. So he was, it was a 13 day run and uh, evaded up to 500 federal authorities, no ding on them, but, you know, massive manhunt, DEA helicopters to all kinds of local and state and county authorities to, you know, what we'll get into, uh, you know, local population of civilians and trail cameras. And I mean, it's just pretty, you know, I don't want to say it's awesome and cool, but it's pretty astounding <laughs> that this dude evaded that long in 2023 with the technology that we have now. So, yeah. That's kind of the, the big gist of it, man. So, yeah, let's, let's dig into this a little bit. I mean, you two, it's backing up even more. Uh, I'm kind of the outsider here in the sense of you two met actually at the tracking combat hunter program in the military, correct? Yep. We started working together. And what year was that, Patrick? I can't remember. Was, uh... 2000. Well, uh, I started there in 2017. And I think it was about a year later that you got there. I came back. Yeah, I had come back. I'd already spent 10 years there. And then I left to start the business, and then they, they called me back to do uh, another stint with you guys. So that's where we came back at that point and started running around the hills, tracking, teaching people. And um, it's what's wild. What really caught my attention here was the amount of you know manpower, Jason, that you mentioned, and the federal you know authorities they brought in. This wasn't just a normal manhunt. This was a full-on task force. I mean, they flew out BORTAC, you know, yep. Border Patrol's elite unit from El Paso. Like you mentioned, the DEA units, like, wow, that's what got my attention. It's like, who is this guy? And the more you start to unravel this thing, it's it's like this guy is like the Brazilian Jason Bourne, man. It's like, oh, my God, it's Jason Bourne. And it's multiple things. It's not just him parkouring up the thing. It's <laughs> kind of like multiple events of like, who, who is this guy making it out of the perimeters and, and doing these kind of other evasion Patrick, you were you were a seer guy, right? You know, you you taught yep. that for a while. You know, I mean, I think this could be a case study in you know search of aid and rescue. He had a lot of luck. He made mistakes, but he had yep. you know a kind of a lot of wherewithal and a lot of luck that got him through a lot of this stuff. So that's just a wild reason. And the tracking side of this, the man tracking side, there's a bunch of I don't know really kind of cool, interesting points we can talk about. You know, no knock on any of the federal agencies. It was a big manhunt, but there's cool little points. It's like, man, if we had a tracker or a small yep. team of train trackers, they could have intercepted maybe a little bit quicker. Who knows really, but it's just cool talking points. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. it, you know, and it always depends on, and you know this, Yusuf, it depends on the environment. They Clearly, they were having a lot of rain. They were having a lot of storms up there. They specifically talked about the night when they ended up actually capturing this guy that, that early that next morning that they were using FLIR. They were flying the area. They knew he was in a general area. So they were doing runs with a FLIR camera trying to pick up his heat signature. And they ended up having to initially turn that off or stop the search with that because of lightning storms. So he was in an area with a, like a, a very heavily wooded area. Looks, I mean, and I'm from, I'm from the, the Northeastern United States from upstate New York. And so you've got like you know, just heavy brush in that area, um, you know, oaks and, and a lot of pine and maple and heavy brush and stuff. So I can 100% understand the environment that he was in was super, super difficult to to get people into. And he was taking advantage of that. You know, they were, we had heard on the news that they were saying that, or afterwards when he had talked about it, that he, the way he was covering himself up and using leaves and things like that. Yeah. 100%. And it's, it's funny, Yusuf, that you mentioned the seer thing, because when they had stated on the news that they had kind of trapped this guy in a four mile square area that was near some sort of park or something like that, yeah. it was some yeah. sort of botanical, botanical garden. Yeah. Thousand acres. They kept, 
Yeah, okay, yeah, they kept seeing him in that area, so they basically had that whole area surrounded. And my thought was, well, it'll be the end of the day, and they'll have this guy in the in you know in cuffs. And later that next morning, when it came out, I actually got up and I turned on the news because I was interested in see what was going on. And they were like, "Oh yeah, he got out somehow. He got through the perimeter, got a van, and had taken off." My first thought was, "Oh, this guy's gone," because. That's the thing is like what you mentioned about Sear, when you're talking about evasion type of situation, the first thing you want to do is that distance. Like you don't know if if whoever is is tracking you, if they have dogs, obviously you have to assume uh, you know, tracking team, dog teams, helicopters, whatever. You you need to maximize that distance between where they're looking for you and whatever, where you're where you're heading. Like if he was heading to Canada. He should have got behind that wheel and just gone until the damn gas was out of that vehicle. You know what I'm well, saying? But that's actually he, that's actually what happened. He ran out of gas, believe it or not. Right, but yeah. he had driven 25 miles to go see somebody that he had worked with. He was trying to make some contacts uh. and get some people to help him. Yeah, so he didn't he didn't just like turn north and go. I mean, he from where he was at, probably that north. He should have been in New York State, easy. Uh, from from the middle of the middle of Pennsylvania to the to the border of New York State's probably 50 75 miles you know 100 miles maybe at the most i mean he could have gotten pretty close to getting to the border of New York State and he just he didn't you know he was looking for yeah it, and in terms of like law enforcement response this is a huge amount of bodies you know i don't know how many yep. hundreds of people involved and a lot of times it's like that old movie the fugitive like the, hey i want a perimeter blah, 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 and he's yelling you know yep. it's like right. they, they look at normal statistics especially what you learn in search and rescue tracking is like you know your average person can move depending on the terrain and their fitness two two and a half three miles an hour you know depending on the train and that train yep. was wild so they'll they'll build they'll draw a circle and go, okay, he's on foot right now. Let's set up the perimeter here. All he has to do is be 10 feet outside that perimeter when it goes yep. down and he can be gone. So they were giving him a crap for like, oh, how, how do you get out of the perimeter? It's like, well, a perimeter, doesn't, it's not like I have walls and it's not like we dome the thing in. And I've tracked over a lot of continents over the world and I've taught a lot of students. I've been to the Hawaiian jungles, the Okinawan jungles, North Carolina and Virginia. I will tell you, like, you think, oh, Japanese jungle. It's bad. It's not fun. But by far, the worst terrain I've ever been in is northern Virginia with yep. deadfall and then yep. North Carolina swamp. That yep. is the yeah. worst. You know, I think we got on the ground one time and we had this training plan, like, hey, we're going to take these students out. So a bunch of uh, recon range, I think, uh, uh, Jason. Uh, who's over there in the East Coast? I can't remember that. But the third, uh, you got second four, second recon, and uh, second uh, second recon, second raider, raider battalion. Yeah, yeah, it was second recon, and like we gave the the opso the training plan, say, all right, we're going to move, you know, three and a half kilometers from here to here, and he like we had it mapped out. We'd never been there before, and he just like laughed in our faces. He's like, bro, maybe you get five hundred <laughs> meters, maybe. And we're, and we're like, what are you That's talking crazy. about? And it was true. It was so bad, and like in terms of even having a train tracker. Some of, even if those that task force had them on the ground, I've been in North Carolina and Virginia where you you know trackers we look for disturbances, fresh disturbances, vegetation out of place or in the wrong direction. So you know in California you might step on some grass or vegetation and it will lay down for a certain amount of time and eventually yep. come back up. I've stood there in North Carolina and stepped on a plant and watched it go whap right back to normal. I. I've turned, I've walked on a trail and they said, oh, I forgot something or I need to go back and turn around and I can't even see my own trail. So, I mean, you know, the, the press was knocking them like, oh, how do you get out of the printer? It's like, well, it's a thousand acres of dense, horrible vegetation. Yeah, no kidding. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and and there was a press conference where they mentioned one of the, uh, I think he was the, the sheriff of the county had mentioned, he's like, we can't, you know, he goes, we can't walk through here arm in arm we can't get online and, and close a circle in on this guy. He goes, there are, there's going to be spaces. And he took advantage of it to that guy's credit to Cavalcante's credit. He took advantage of those, those breaks in the line and was able to get through, you know? Yeah. To, to add to that, we could talk about his background a little bit, geographically speaking, like he is from a very rural area of Brazil. Brazil is known for humidity. It's known for rainfall. It's, it's known for like, much like you're saying, triple canopy jungles, jaguars, you know, it's not fucking 
super easy terrain. Like, so this dude definitely grew up in this environment, was on the run, was on the land for a long time already, and then arrived in America. So if dude would have like escaped in January in the Northeast, things probably would have been a lot different. You've got snow on the ground. You've got yep. fucking freezing temperatures. You know, More sparse uh, vegetation. Hunting sparse, season. <laughs> especially hunting season. You've got, especially with helos in the air using thermals, that contrast of like cold ground, cold snow, yep. and then the heat signature from a 98.2 degree human, you know, like that contrast would have been easier, I think. So I think dude probably would have got wrapped up really quickly potentially in the winter. Mm-hmm. So this dude escaped at a, at a good time in the sense of weather. He's used to hot, humid. Uh, and the dude's more importantly, I, I saw it written in Steel, the, uh, the author's thunder here. The dude was desperate. You're facing life in jail. Uh, He's, this is freedom. I mean, this is, this is the definition of freedom. Probably his last chance. His last He had just been sentenced. He'd he'd been sentenced to life in jail. Yeah. Or life in prison for that murder. So absolutely. Yeah. And then he also was going on a video trial already with the authorities back in Brazil. So he's going to get pegged on both ends and he's probably definitely going to stay here. But I mean, the dude's definitely double screwed in that area. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing that dude made it that long, but not surprising at the same time. I think, like you said, there's a lot of luck involved, desperation, the will to live, the will to survive. He's in a, you know, mammalian animalistic mindset at this point. Uh, you know, like that's, it's crazy. I'm fascinated with the whole thing. And it's sad that, you know, that he hurt who he hurt and yes. affected the kid's life and whatnot, but just the, you know, that the, the, a mass, mass amount of, of manpower against one person who had nothing. You know? yeah. yeah. I was, I was wondering too, initially, like when I, and I, obviously I understand this guy murdered somebody and he murdered somebody in Brazil. So you've got somebody who's, you know, clearly has a track record of, of being a fucking dangerous individual. But I was a little surprised initially when they're, they brought so much to bear against this individual. I think what it, probably was is initially the the Pennsylvania state troopers were like, Hey, we're going to roll this guy up super quick. This is going to be easy. You know, so we have a general idea where he's at when it didn't happen. Uh, I don't know, press public pressure, you know, yes. um, especially when he, uh, one of you guys mentioned, you know, he, he got into people's garages and started stealing firearms and things like that. It's like, okay, now we need to, we need to start putting a little bit more work into this guy. Yeah, dude, dude didn't grub. He didn't eat for the first three days. Yeah. Um, so Drinking water it, out of streams and watermelon. Yep. Yeah, yeah. we were talking <laughs> about that before you got on. I guess he was doming these watermelons. That's how he opened it with his own head, which is kind of kind of mind-boggling. I mean, like Patrick <laughs> said, you got, you got an elbow, you've got fists, you've got rocks, rocks. and trees around. <laughs> Throw it against the yeah. He's gone full native, bro. <laughs> yeah. We, but he, you, you both mentioned the mindset. So he was desperate facing life in prison, but also from a, you know, a, a man tracking, tracking perspective, we tell our students, I know you've heard me say this before, Patrick, we'd get our young guys who are, you know, full of piss and vinegar and they'd be closing in on their quarry. And it's like, okay, you have to take in the fact, like, what, what are you getting yourself into? The end of the track line yep. of, is, is finding them, you know? So let's say, you know, if it's maybe a multiple people or it's a group of people you're tracking, they might have the thought that they might be able to get away as opposed to maybe someone who is wounded or sick or knows they're being run down. Are you, are you just going to run right into that situation? Because that's a situation where someone's like, I can't believe no one was hurting all this between the carjackings and the, the, the theft, yep. home invasion, all of it. Like he didn't go over that next step. And I don't know how many tracking stories I've heard where it's mostly law enforcement where they're tracking someone down and the tracker trips over the bad guy and that gets into a, a five foot shootout. So not only the, 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 the desperation, but that mindset and nobody got hurt in that. So good on the law enforcement. Good on that, getting that dog out there quick, whatever it is, because it could have went a different way, you know? Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I know. Sure. I mean, it's a 22, it looked like a Ruger type, you know, a 22 rifle scoped, looked like it had a Tasco or something on top of it. Um, does that dude even know how to use that gun? Was it even loaded? Who, who knows? But I know, like we talked about before we recorded, is, is 
dude was definitely pressed upon. So he stole the van or he stole that rifle. The owner, I guess was like 52 years old, came out pressing that pistol and shots fired at, at the guy. Didn't get hit. Luckily, no one, or luckily, uh, uh, the innocents didn't get hit. Um, I don't even know if, uh, Danello even fired to be honest with you, but, um, yeah, crazy, crazy. So I, I'm surprised. The dude was definitely had nothing to lose, you know, and everything to fucking gain. So I'm well, he was he, he he was really working hard to reach out to other people because do you see they they arrested his sister? Apparently, yes. his sister lived in the area. They arrested his sister because these violations. He had reached out to her, and she. I think she potentially could have given him some sort of assistance, and they haven't really. Mm-hmm. They haven't really put that out yet, but she assisted him some way. And then when the, the police tried to get her involved or, or whatever, she refused to help them. So they ended up arresting her. But he went to two different individuals that he worked with. And it was the one individual that had the had the uh, ring camera. And he, you know, he instantly called the police. And so you have camera, this videos of this guy, you know, standing at this at this individual's porch different clothes already. He had freaking, you know, a rain jacket on. He, you know, had clean, changed his clothes multiple times or whatever. So, uh, you know, the guy was working hard, but he definitely made some mistakes. Like yeah. we had said before, the, yeah. the, the fact that he was trying to get somebody else to help him. I don't, I, I, who knows what kind of relationship they had, but he, he clearly thought that individual was willing to help him if he was going to go that far out of his way to try to link up with somebody, you know, that's a huge no, no too. It's like, if you're, you know, you're, you're casting your net out there you're looking for an individual and you don't have a last point of origin, you don't have a location for him. That's number one thing you're going to do is, all right, let's look at the history, family members, friends, girlfriends, ex-girlfriends, places of work, places, wherever that person, you know, frequented, you're going to descend a net on that place because you're hoping they make contact. You're hoping they make yep. contact and there's going to be your threat. So, yeah, uh, I think, you know, had he done what you said, Patrick, is just beat feet and got gotten the heck out of there, um, it would have been better for him. But it's interesting, too, going back to the seer kind of mindset, is this guy was, like, planning in chunks. When they finally caught him, you know, he goes, like, you know, at first he just got out of the jail. I just ran for it. Then I got into the woods and then I got, you know, some watermelon and water. And then my plan in the next 24 hours was to get a car, carjack it, and head to Canada or Puerto Rico. So this guy was even chunking out his thinking. And isn't that one of the things they teach you, you know, in, in Seer? Yeah. I mean, there's Every that initial – that's the thing is there's that initial separation when you, you became become separated or if you're a pilot and you eject, whatever, that first minute on the ground – all you're doing is separating yourself from that from that point, whether it be, hey, I'm going to patrol and I just got separated from my team or, you know, I'm in an aircraft that goes down, whatever the case may be. You need to separate from that area and then start thinking about capture and stuff. So he clearly was, you know, you don't have to be trained in SEER to have that type of mindset and to have that understanding, especially somebody like Jason had said, this guy had already been on the run in Brazil for a long period of time, made his way to the United States and was successful. You know, So he had a little bit of self-confidence. He had a little bit of knowledge on how to survive in the wild. And <clears throat> he, wasn't, he wasn't exactly making a lot of mistakes. It was just, I think, initially instead of him getting... And, and it could have been too, like him, as soon as the police realized this guy was gone and they were able to wrap him up, I think the trail cam didn't didn't work in his favor like a lot of the other cameras. I mean, you guys know, look at the society we live in today. Where are cameras? They are everywhere. And he clearly didn't know he was on that trail cam because they have him multiple times coming through that one area around the the that uh that botanical gardens. So yeah, it's obviously a rural they, area, you know? Yep. Think about this is like farm country and it's still got yep. caught like six different times on a camera. Imagine a suburban or an urban environment. Your right. your face is everywhere. Especially yeah. with the AI facial recognition that's like all over the place now. But if you think about it, the dude, you know, we're hyper focused on the American uh, time he was evading. But I mean, the dude's been technically on the run for six years. Yeah, and not and not and escaped a whole other continent and infiltrated through Mexico, I guess, into America. I mean, the dude's kind of been in this mindset. 
in this OODA loop for the last six years. So it's kind of like, I mean, the dude's almost like a rabid animal in the sense like that dude's not like, like, uh, complacent and lax, you know what I'm saying? Where he fucked up is he, you know, lost his fucking cool and took, took someone's life and one got into a relationship, which he probably shouldn't have done. Um, you know, there's a series of things, I guess, big ticket items that like inevitably led to this, but yeah, movie Ronan never have anything you can't walk away from in 60 seconds. No, yeah, not, yeah. Uh, heat. It was heat. Yeah. Heat. heat. That's right. That's right. Wayne yeah. Grow. Yeah, Wayne Grow. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Best, best mullet ever. But uh that was two good movies though. Ronan and Heat, man. Holy shit. Good movies. Uh but yeah, like that's what I said. He, I mean, he had that he I think that guy was sort of operating in that mindset for a long time. And and clearly the dude, when you're just you know, he's a killer. He he's he's not a stable person. I mean, to to kill his girlfriend in front of his two kids is is completely ridiculous and uh you know societal taboos and laws and boundaries (laughs) that dude permeates all that man that dude there yeah he has he has no boundaries boundaries are fucking wide open you know which is another reason why this dude's able to pull off what he did he's not really super self-reliant on fucking cell phones and you know i don't know how good his english is uh but, you know, dude's still in a foreign fucking country, man. The guy's used to operating solo, it seems like. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think – I haven't heard I, in, in any of the things I saw, I didn't find that he had a cell phone in him. And it's like for all your listeners out there, it's like you have no idea. I heard the term before. It's called digital dust. How much did- yep. digital dust you leave in your wake and, you yep. know, how easy it is for the ability to track people. And people have been taking their cell phones uh, to pr- protest riots, murders, and whatnot. And they can tell you the entire story just based off your cell phone. They can, you know, do all sorts of crazy stuff. And, it, and it's very hard to, you know, there's a, another video out there where a guy tries to go um, completely unplug. And they give him, like, a 24-hour head start. And he, like, threw his credit cards out the window and cell phones and did everything he could. And they had him within, I think, you know, 22 hours they had caught him based on whatever it was. What about – and that's a that's a excellent point. Think about that Koberger guy, the, uh, the guy in Idaho that killed those college students, the four college students. The, he had been a – he was working on his doctorate in, in um, criminal justice, and this was – Last year, do you guys remember that he, uh, vaguely, he went yeah. in? Yeah, he went in in the middle of the night, and killed those three girls and that that one girl's boyfriend. And but they had, they've got tons of of exactly what you said, the digital dust of his phone prior to the event. He was there for days in and around the house, and then but nothing during that. But then the next morning, while the police were there, they had him. Again, at the house, driving around the neighborhood, just you know, seeing what happened from his from his uh, you know, seeing what turned up from his crime, you know. But that's the thing is, like with this guy, he didn't have any of this stuff. That's the that's the one thing with this guy. He was running completely off the grid. He didn't smartly didn't get a hold of anybody's phone. He didn't have anything like that. So. Yeah, I mean, he was completely austere out in the woods trying to survive. And I mean, you know, I I think the, you know, if they had kept this guy encircled for a few days longer, I I think he would have gotten a little bit more, um, gotten a little bit more desperate, you know, if he didn't have any more food. Because, you know, the, the, the article that we, Jason and I had read where he's just, you know, he's hiding under logs, he's freaking covering his shit up with leaves he's you know i mean he yeah it would have been it would have been freaking desperation very quickly well jason what you just said light you know he was traveling light i want to read this quote from uh one of the the lieutenant colonel the pennsylvania state police lieutenant colonel george bivens the press was giving him shit about you know him getting out of the perimeter and i want you guys to listen to this quote see if you any of this sounds familiar He pointed to several factors that made the operation very challenging. Longwood's dense vegetation and large drainage system, the heat and high humidity, and the sheer weight of the officer's equipment. As soon as I heard drainage ditches and heat and high equipment, I was like, huh, 
I've been there before. <laughs> I remember this from Iraq, from uh, storage from yep. Afghanistan, you know, because they'd plant their IEDs in the drainage ditches, um, you know, whether it was the Taliban or whatever it was, the Iraqi, you know, Adidas wearing guy, they'd have an AK and a magazine, you know, and we were rolling. Roll, roll. I remember, I, I think my second time to Iraq, I got this like Rhodesian chest rig and I had like eight magazines in this thing. And I just did damage to my upper back. I'm like, well, this is a horrible idea, you know, yeah. dying coming out of the thing. So I just thought. Yeah, you nailed it right there, brother. I mean, I people, you know, over beers and whatnot, civilians have asked me, you know, like, how were the Taliban? And I'm like, dude, they're honestly really good fighters. And they've been fighting, you know, 14 different empires off, off, you know, away from, from their country. But I, I equated them to almost, you know, no knock on them as human beings, but in the sense of like, why are we kind of beat down coyotes? You know, they're malnourished. Uh, so far into their diet restricted their vision. They're, they don't can't see very, very far, you know, two, 300 meters. A lot of people don't know like their diet and the, the vitamin deficiency. So you look at the parallels between uh, this guy and like the Taliban traveled light, uh, desperate, um, surrounded by you know people hunting him you know he's he's tapping into that encoded dna survival that's that we all have you know and, and coming from i hate saying this word but coming from a third world country his entire life to a very prominent spoiled first world country you know there's a reason this dude lasted so long because he's used to being light he's used to not having much he's used to being poor you know, it probably grew up pretty tough, like a lot of people do. Yep. So he's of tough uh, character, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, not living on much, so which I think added to all of this. Mm -hmm. Well, and the and the worst thing about that conversation is, you know, the the chief of police or whoever it is, their rep talking about how, you know, the the amount of gear and how heavy and yeah. laden down with equipment that the the officers are. I'm sure all of us can understand that. And, you know, the sad thing is the first couple of days of this, when I, I saw it on the news, I made a comment to my wife. I'm like, look at this freaking guy. You know, there's a cop out there who's already a hundred pounds overweight. You know, he's got all yeah. this crap on. I was just like, Jesus Christ. You know, I was like, this guy's going to have a heart attack out in the goddamn bush. But we as Americans, we as a fighting force and, and not just in not just our military, but it, it crosses over. As soon as you see the police doing tactical stuff, they mirror the military Triples. as far as equipment, gear, weapons, like to a T. You guys know the amount of crap that we wear. I mean, just the, your armor can weigh 50, 60 pounds, and that's not even getting into everything else that you've got on. And these guys are out there the same thing. When you're out hunting somebody and you're out tracking I think the best thing that they could have done is in use of, I'm sure, you know, like you have a tracking team, you guys like less gear, you know, m maybe a rifle, you know, or, or, or super, if you're going to wear armor, super light armor, I probably wouldn't even wear a helmet, man, move quietly, freaking, you know, I, that's the, the downside is these guys were so geared up and just everybody traveling together. And he said multiple times, that the officers were within feet of him or almost stepped on him. It's like he a hundred percent has the advantage in that situation. And we have with all that gear is not an advantage at all. You know? I've been 10 years in the Marine Corps infantry, did all my deployments in Iraq. So we're just, you know, we're light infantry laying down <laughs> with all this, this crap, you know? And then I remember it was, I, I was at combat hunter. I was a Marine combat hunter and we got sent out to third recon battalion to go do a package out there. And we go out there, and this is the first time I'd been out there, and it blew my mind. It was mixed bag. It was recon and some uh, some infantry from the MU, and we had about 30 students. And the commanders made the call, and we all show up in plate carriers and helmets and whatever, and they're getting off the bus and just the LBVs, just the you know yep. no plate carriers, boonie yep. hats. And we're like, well, what are you guys doing? We're supposed to be in gear. We've been training for Iraq so much and the deployment cycle in the 1st Marine Division. That's all we knew. When you trained, you had everything. They're like – bro, we're going to the jungle. It's 98 degrees, hundred percent humidity. Yeah. Like you're going to fall out in five minutes. I like Vietnam so, style. J JWTC, yep. man. 
Yeah. So yep. we went with them and that was how it was. And I was like, so there's another way of doing this, you know? And it, <laughs> meanwhile, we're all And it makes a out, huge you know? difference. Huge difference. It makes it, a huge difference. Not just on, like, because as you're, unless your stuff is really wired tight, you've got all this extra noise from your gear, the the nylon and shit rubbing together, you're the noisier weapon. If you've got anybody else around you, it's 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 loud. Unless you're like, fucking sneaking and peeking and you're really trying to be quiet with all that stuff it makes it so much more difficult and then what do they all got on i mean almost to a t these guys had on headsets that their helmets all this crap it's just like they're they put themselves at a at a disadvantage from the word go when you're when you're having all that when you're sweating when you're breathing hard when you're exerting yourself your awareness, your situational awareness is doing this. It's going boom, boom. It's like tunnel vision. It's getting smaller, yep. smaller, smaller. We'd have guys run on the track line. We'd be following a guy and they think they're close and they start running. And we'd specifically put them in an ambush situation if they did that. And the point was, it's like, dude, if you're running and you got this gear on and you're jangling, and you're huffing about how much, where's your awareness at? It's gone. So they run into it and they'd be all butthurt about it. And the debrief was like, dude, slow down. You know, use the advantage, have patience with it instead of running into a situation just like, you know, luckily nothing bad happened with these guys. But, yeah, the gear thing, man, we've just been geared for so long, mounted for so long, and that's trickled down yep. to law enforcement. You know, yeah. know. Let, let's talk about that real quick, man. All amazing points. Look at your average police force. Uh, overweight predominantly, um, sitting 90% of the day. Uh, bad diet. How often do they actually train? I mean, are they exercising a lot? Most likely not. And I'm not not knocking these dudes, but it, it is America as a whole. Like we're a super obese nation. So even our, our your average police force throughout America, I don't care where you're at, is probably obese. They sit a lot. They're not used to wearing kit. Now they're all jocked up because there's a threat. They don't train in that gear. They don't, they don't train for these types of events. So who is training are your local SWAT, your Bortac dudes, you know, and you look at some of their kits, some of their picture, a lot of them, like you said, are basically in LBVs. They're, they're, they're traveling light, but on the counter side, much like you said, there was a lot of roads in the area. They did a lot of road, uh, perimeters set up They're They're easy access They're They're, they're hunting that way. Their strength is communication is instant communication. Uh, in, in that 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 shit that they're shifting right. So, but again, they're not the ones actually breaking through the brush and all this fucking kit with rifles and slings. You're tired. You're probably tired because you've been awake for 24 hours at this fucking point on overtime. You know, and you're only seeing you're only you know left and right with guys, a, a few cops online, right? So I think even to them at the individual level, how big the scale of that perimeter is you know, like real time, like, what does this look like? Where is everyone at? How many dudes are on the same comms channel? You know, you know, look, look at the Marine Corps. How, one dude, one cop could be just hot mic in the whole fucking time. You know, there's the breakdown of communication. There's so many variables at each hour of this 13 day event. So, and, and think about all that stuff that you mentioned, Jason. So you're like, you're putting yourself sort of in the mindset and physicality of those officers Yes. Put yourself in the mindset and physicality of Cavalcante. Yep. And you guys both know this. We've we've all spent umpteen hours in the field. How many times have you guys been in the field, been in the prone? Jason is a sniper. Yusuf as a freaking tracker. You're down and you hear dudes coming. You know, every single time one of these guys, one of these officers was two, three hundred yards away, he heard it. Them chattering on the radio, them talking to each other, their gear yep. banging around. Nobody was sneaking up on this guy. Nobody was. The The fact that he was able to camouflage himself yep. over and over and over in all these positions where he says himself in the interview, there was at least three separate occasions where he was within feet of an almost stepped on by these officers. It's because he knows they're coming. He hears them. Now he's at the advantage. He doesn't, maybe he can't move where he is at that disadvantage, but you get down low, you get under 
you know, a freaking fallen tree, you cover yourself up, whatever you got to do, you hide yourself. And these guys just walk on by, you know, they're looking, but clearly, again, like we talked about earlier, that environment is an environment where there's a lot of probably leaves down. It's very wet. There's been a lot of storms in the area. So whatever he was doing or moving around in that natural environment wasn't enough to cue these guys in. They probably didn't have any tracking training. They didn't have any any awareness. And Yusuf, you know, you have to have that. Yeah. These and officers remember, don't have that. And to, 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 to jump on that, dude, like I gave a lot of courses on optics, especially like handheld thermals. And I've used the old shit to the new shit. That all goes out the window in dense, basically triple canopy from top to bottom. Horizontally, horizontally as a dude on the ground, I say I've got like a, a handheld thermal, right? Like looking through, you're not you're not pushing five feet beyond this wall of, of foliage. Plus, depending on the time of day, heat, humidity, everything gets washed out. You're not seeing yep. through it. So all of it much like Afghanistan gets equalized. So the adversary to the aggressors, in this case, the, the police against the, 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 the defender, the guy that's like escaping, trying to like that playing field gets equal equalized, like really fucking quick, man. So in, yep. in defense of the police, they had a hard job specifically in that fucking terrain, you know, For sure. the dude, dude was in the best position. He could be pros and cons, but, Humidity, altitude, change in elevation, micro terrain, these cops being told to hold this line. So you got a perimeter, right? You've got an outside line, but how many dudes are on foot on a patrol? How many different patrols of two to six man teams walking through this, the inside of this perimeter? Like, what are they actually fucking seeing? Like, hey, I'm in this position. This is my grid. Do they got, you know, do they, well, they got a fucking, you know, a GPS on their fucking wrist? Like, there's so many variables to this. And like, kind of honestly, like no wonder the studio evaded that fucking long. Have you so, guys seen um, the Sean Ryan interview with DJ Shipley? Have you guys seen that one? No, I know what you're no. talking about. I saw it's five wild. seconds of it. It's, you know, it's banana sandwich from front to back. It's just a wild, you know, uh, you know, we've all been there to the situation, but this is some of the wildest stuff I've ever had heard. And one of the situations was, where they actually were, you know, running out, uh, chasing HVT who'd squirted out of the house. He'd ran into a a palm grove, you know, that was over their head, not palm grove, but, um, you know, the, basically that head high grass that they had out there. So it's a 500 by 500 thing. They have an AC-130 Spectre gunship on there with their optics, able to search in there. They're walking, they're, they're arm in arm, walking them on. They have the heat signature of the HVT, and they're like, step forward, step forward. And they're like, all right, you're getting close. You're getting close. And they're like, this is at nighttime. They're like, we don't see him. They have nods on. We don't see him. We don't see him. Take another step. And then finally, like, there was a blank spot. And they're like, where's he at? And the Spectre gunship's like, you're standing on him. Your left guy is standing on him right now. And everyone's doing this. And they never, they couldn't see him. So they're like, everyone get out of the palm grove. Because this guy had like a PKM, you know. So it's like, you have a Spectre gunship literally telling you one of your guys. And you, they still couldn't. That's no fault of theirs. Just because right. of the edge of the night. And it was a zero, yep. I think, zero moonlit night. You know, it's like sometimes you can have all the things in the world and, and still not not get it. You know? yep. And on that on that note, brother, I, I would like to look at the, the, the data on the moon phase. Uh, yeah. The wind. Ooh, the, the wind. Yeah. The wind. Uh interesting the the actual um and me being like a sniper right like like all of that just visually visually speaking and then you know there obviously this is 24 hours a day so like during the night phase like what dudes percentage wise say for one one section one perimeter what how many dudes in that line actually had nods or thermals Mm-hmm. I guarantee. It's probably, I would say probably not probably a lot of them. Small. I mean, if you if you look at some of the pictures of these guys, the if you look at some of the pictures, they all had your your average kit. I didn't see dudes running around with nods. There was a couple of them that I had seen, and I think it was the Bortac guys probably in the right. state SWAT course, had course. had that stuff. But you're not at, like you were saying before. Your every officer isn't going to be out there with night vision or thermals. They're just they just don't have the funds. To you know, to, to gear up they? all these guys with that kind of stuff. The state SWAT, like Bortec, they got all the cool Gucci gear. But like yep. you're a state entity, you're a county entity. 
you know, you can be the SWAT team. A lot of times those departments, depending on where you have to come out of pocket. So it's like, yep. or let's say they did get funding for NVGs. They might be seven Bravos. You know, it's like, so what's the quality of the optics you're using out there? So and not yep. only the quality of the optic, it could be the best gear. How many hours and repetitions have you done with that gear? And in a, in a high stress environment. Absolutely. Like, how, how has your training been? How, like most of those dudes are doing barricades. The snipers are doing hundred meter in less shots. Uh, like they do like a lot of fucking kicking door down stuff. Not like a dude on foot and in a, in a fucking urban into a rural environment. So it's like, yeah, they got to train for a wide palette of scenarios, man. And this is a very unique palette. This is a very unique scenario. So you know, like I'm not. Well, I, I have to assume that they're. I have to assume that they're. You know, the weather wasn't in their favor. I mean, they they showed the guy multiple times. That. He he was he was had a rain jacket on multiple days. Yeah, it was multiple days of rain. Um, and they when they were saying when they finally did sort of have him in a in a in an area where they were like, hey, we know this guy's in there. We just can't fucking find him. They're running Fleer from the helicopter and they got a signature and then they ended up having to stop because they had lightning. So this guy's in that wet, stormy environment. I think that was a big, big um factor in his favor this entire time. When you when you're in an environment of just constant rain, yeah. you guys know it's easy to move through that slowly uh, in, in a situation like that, it might have been in the officer's advantage because they can probably get a little bit closer without being heard. You know what I'm saying? If you got a nice steady rain like that, it sort of masks that, that sound traveling. And it, it, or, I mean, also it's going to work in his favor as well. Yeah. Or if they're all, you know? what, what we used to call Gore 4, you know, Gore-Tex yep. out, hoodie up. You're not hearing anything with that rain yeah. pattern hitting the Gore-Tex. You're not yep. hearing anything. We do watch. We do patrols or whatever. It's like, take all that crap off, bro. It's like yep. you're not wearing any of that on patrol because yep. it messes your uh, awareness up. And, you know, some of the things, if you look at the imagery of where he was spotted on cameras, you know, again, I'm knocking these guys. They did a great job. They caught him without any violence. But, like, thinking about tracking, you guys remember Christopher Dorner years back? Yep. He was LAPD yeah. cop, went nuts, did an active shooter. Yeah. They caught him up. Yeah, in that Bear. was a crazy situation. That, so that, was the, that was the black guy, right? Yep. LAPD, yep. former Navy or Navy officer. Yep. Navy um, guy. Yeah. I remember the story, man. Pretty crazy. We were in 29 Palms at the time. We almost responded to that. Crazy story. So I'm a contractor at this point, a combat hunter. We got a team of Marines with us and we're training 7th Marines out there. This is going down. We're watching in our hotel room and, you know, Big Bear is about 45 minutes away from 29 Palms as a crow flies, you know. Um we're watching it and they get to a point, he had this blue Tacoma and this guy was doing all sorts of crazy, um, not even seer stuff. He was doing like faints and deceptive strategic things. He took his badge and his ID and dropped it off in National City. Then he made sure he got on camera in this other part of the county. So he was just, everyone was going nuts. And he ended up in Big Bear. It was snowing. He had a blue Tacoma. I think it broke down or ran out of gas. I can't remember, but he sets mm -hmm. it on fire. You know, dumb thing to do. But he sets it on fire. And so they have the news helicopter. We're watching this thing burn. And what it done is it burned out the snow in about 10 feet radius of the burning car, right? And we hear the news commentator. They're like, yeah, police say they have tracks on the ground, but that they don't lead anywhere. And they, they lost the track line. We're this huge team. We're like 12 of us. And we freak out. We're like, what? What do you mean they don't lead? Yeah. Absolutely, they lead somewhere. So yeah. long story short, we start calling people. I'm calling my friends who are San Bruno sheriffs. We ended up talking to the incident commander and we're like okay. yelling at her. We're like, hey, man, we're ready to rock. We'll be up the mountain right now. Like we can track this dude, especially in snow. That's an easy day. Yeah. You know? yeah. And we're like we're about to like jock up and go up there. Then we finally talked to the incident commander and uh, we were talking to her and she's like, who are you guys? We're like, oh, <laughs> we're a mixed group of uh, active duty Marines and uh, defense contractors. And she's like, no, what? No, don't come up on this. I'll arrest you if you come up. She had no idea who we were. She's like, no, thanks. We got it, you know. But um, <laughs> she's like, we'll just burn them alive in a cabin. Yeah, 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 yeah. it kind of happened. But they ended up catching them up to them the next day. But that's a point that a trained tracking team could have interdicted because all you need is yep. a last known point of origin, you know. And yep. so when you have the um, 
trail cams. You have the ring cameras where they, they caught this guy six different times. Some a lady saw him crouched by the side of the road. That's gold, man. If you could deploy a small team of people, that's your trail right there. But a, a lot of time they'll they'll just get that point and they'll put a huge perimeter around it, which is not a bad thing to do. But that last point of origin, that can give you just gold and you can put a team on, especially if you have dogs too, and the person's on foot, you can close that gap fairly quickly. But not a lot yeah. of people trained in this stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, and I, oh, to that point, I think that's exactly why they brought in Bortak. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, Jason and I have had conversations with the Bortak agent Jammer on here, uh, Aaron Schweitzer, uh, former recon marine. Guys, just got a ton of experience in this, and uh, we 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 you know he he couldn't comment on this, uh, of course, but. He, we, we actually just had sat down with him not that long ago when this stuff was going on, right when it kicked off. And he was he was bummed that he couldn't get out there because his guys were all going out there. He, he was bummed. Uh, but, but, I mean, that's why they bring these guys in. This is what Bortak is great at. They're great at tracking these guys in this these, uh, you know, uh, rough conditions where mainly along the southern border. I mean, Yusuf, you've been down there. We've been down there tracking on horseback and down there on the southern border and in you see the situation that's in these guys are good at that and then of course they're brain bringing in these dogs that are trained to another level you know they're basically military working dogs the the malinois that yeah i i think when these I'm guys were kind of brought, that they were the ones that caught them on all these no, of people. absolutely not absolutely you know, not when these guys were brought to bear to this there. situation yeah yeah when when they were introduced of course, it wasn't going to take much longer. That's for damn right. sure, you know. Right. Especially one guy, you know. Um, but again, they had the dude had the advantage to the to the terrain. Um, it, it, the playing field got equalized compared to the southern border, where much like Afghanistan, it's wide open terrain, thermals, uh, all these different scopes. Your your air assets can see at such a distance. You're only seeing a few feet in front of you in, in this, I mean, call it what it is, this jungle, jungle environment. So, um, they, they got lucky. They actually caught the guy. I'm surprised he didn't get away, which is just the proximity to Canada, to all the green out there. So, well, those are, like you said, those are the mistakes that he made, the mistakes that he made, like in Yusuf had mentioned the, on the seer side of things, he, he didn't have enough knowledge to say, I need to create as much distance as possible from, my Time escape point, you know, yeah. where, yeah, he was able to stop, sort of assess the situation. I need some supplies. I need this. I need that. I need to get out of my clothing, which he was able to do that fairly quickly. But then some of his decisions from that point were, you know, that untrained individual. I'm going to try to get help or I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to do that. Not I'm going to create as much distance, especially once he got out of that perimeter. The guy should have been gone, should have been gone. You know, eventually they're going to catch him. Yeah, you know, eventually they were going to catch him. I mean, we've we we I don't I don't think we've ever in the history in the last ten or fifteen years we've seen a fugitive get away and just keep going. But right, they right. were eventually going to catch him. But he 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 definitely made some mistakes that um, he got him wrapped up in the end. You know, much quicker than he could have. I mean, he the guy could have been close to the Canadian border. He could have been, you know, up into upstate New York someplace. Gone deeper was, into the woods. You know, for, like yep. Virginia, man, northern Virginia, that deadfall out there, if anybody's ever dealt with deadfall, that stuff is wild. You could, it, and it's you the could same be terrain. 20 feet away. You could be 20 feet away and go, hey, guys, I got him. I see him right there 20 feet away. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. Make your way to me. It's like, well, that's going to be about 30 minutes climbing over crap yep. and falling down and break, you know. And what, what, that, for listeners, for our city going listeners out there, what he means by deadfall is, is literally dead trees, branches, vines, you know, like in North Carolina, Virginia, you've got briar patches, which are thick thorns. I mean, like, like, like freaking Lord of the Rings. I mean, like you, I've literally evading got caught horizontally off the ground and couldn't fucking move in my kit. <laughs> completely cut up and that's what these guys are dealing with so uh that's what it means by deadfall so and, and then you got dead leaves you've got you know and it's summer so everything's green you know up there especially you know it's green yep. it's wet it's Swamp. uh swampy 
Yep. You know, yeah, the dude, if it would have been winter and all the, 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 the green leaves would have been off and just, just trees and barren, they probably would have caught him a lot quicker. Yep. yep. So Well, and he's, he's also very lucky he didn't fire on that dog. Yeah. I mean, he had the gun. He had that twenty-two. I mean, think about it. You know, these guys. Yeah. Uh, Facing life, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it played out, but you can guarantee that Bortak had this guy surrounded. They knew where he was. Probably made the, you know, made some calls out to him. He ignored them, and then they just let the dog go. And if this guy had had fired on that dog or killed or injured the dog, he oh, wouldn't yeah. have made it out of there for sure. That would have been he would have been done. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Got a hold of his head, got a hold of his face and, and scalp. <laughs> yeah. What was that dog yeah. handler you guys uh, had on the Ranger? What was his name? Trey. Trey. Trey, yeah. Yeah, that was just some wild. To Trey. Yeah. That's, oh, that did you? Awesome dog story. Yeah, I just talked to him, man. I checked in with him the other day. Yeah. yeah. Like literally <laughs> three days ago. <laughs> yeah. Big beast. Oh, He's yeah. even bigger now. Uh, uh, the dog Yoda, yeah. He, uh, yeah. Meat missile. Meat Put the put the fear of God in that guy. I'm sure. Holy shit! Yeah. So, what do you guys think? Okay, so we've kind of. I, I think that was pretty pretty in depth. That was interesting. What do you guys think about the after action with the? Uh, I've seen there's been a lot of commentary about these guys posing with the dude and uh, the group pictures that they took. What did you guys think about all that? I didn't see any of that. To be honest with you. Yeah, I, I, I saw I the picture. It's them basically stand there like with a, you know, uh, on a, you know, a deer, you know, he's got the guy and they got the whole team there. Um, that's going to cause problems for him. They, they, you know, whoever took the picture should have kept it to themselves and it should have gone up on the wall in their private bar somewhere because in this well, day, I think it was they, the, the, they were, they were lining up to take the picture while the news was out there. They were setting this guy up. They were all standing around that truck and all that stuff when, you know, and they had news cameras there. I mean, they had that's that's the downside is you've got all the vanity that, of it all. Yeah, yeah, you've got all that the the cam. What they should have done is like, hey man, we rolled this dude up, threw him in a vehicle, and taken him away. Instead, I, I don't like, even care about that. He's a murderer. He's a scumbag. No, yeah, 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 yeah. But the the, the posing but and stuff with them, the unit is right. gonna hurt their you know not hurt their capabilities. You know what I mean? But it's like. It, that should have been internal and it's no fault of their own because whoever was around, you know, whatever it was. But in this day and age, man, that's just going to be, that is so persona. It's that's against the rules. You can't be violent. You can't be a male like that. <laughs> and hunt people. You have to, you know, feel bad about it or whatever it is. That's my, right. Opinion. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's stupid, but it's the reality, you know, different times nowadays. Yeah. I remember yeah, at a certain yeah, they, point we got, um, Every Marine, um, uh, and, and the time got their uh, cameras taken. It was a, it was a, uh, you'd get NJP, you'd be whatever, get court martialed if they found you with a camera outside the wire. Yeah. You know, um, that happened. Hmm. You know? Wow. It was, you know, tired to tell, but they, I remember that. Jason, you remember that when they, when that came yeah. down? You know? Yeah. I mean, I remember the early days as you guys all do. I mean, it used to be, I know, a lot more tight. The wind up Kodak, you know, that's what yeah, I actually my first, my first deployment. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I got that back recently, uh, and I need to develop it. I don't know where the hell I found Yo, it. Did you, even do you had what you've got one that you had out there, dude, from OIF one, man. Oh, yeah. Holy hell, dude, that's, that's a whole, awesome. That's a, that's a I, I know what's right on there, there, man. I know what's on You're, there. Man. I'm probably gonna have to develop that shit with some deck tall myself, man, because uh. Yeah, I, I know what's on there. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah, <laughs> allegedly. Man. Allegedly. No, well, thanks for having me there on again, guys. It's always always a good time, and I just want to say thanks to you guys and all the law enforcement, Bortac, DEA, and all the people that went out there and put you know a foot to ass and and ran this guy down. Job well done. No one else was hurt after the fact except him and the dog bite, which I'm not going to lose sleep over. So, you know, big, <laughs> big round of applause to everybody out there that did an awesome job. Good stuff. Yeah, I second Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Yusuf, how can uh, our our listeners and, uh, and our viewers uh, check you out? Yeah, since, you can uh, find you me. Are a, you are a businessman and yeah. you've got a social media presence. Yeah, you can find me on all the normal ones. You used to do it at Emergence uh, on Instagram. Uh, you can find my YouTube channel. Just 
get on there and Google Yusuf Badu. It'll come up as emergent. You see me on there and I'm actually kind of uh, spicing up some of my YouTube channel. I've never haven't done much on YouTube, but now I'm gearing up, especially at the end of this year, especially getting into the next year. I'm definitely putting a lot more content on YouTube in this kind of realm. So just check me out on YouTube. That's the best nice. way to find me and I'll just keep everyone updated. Thanks again, guys. Nice. Yep. Much appreciated. Thanks for hanging out with us, brother. Simplify. This has been Savage Actual. Jason and Patrick are two former special operations guys who interview interesting guests who talk about video games, airsoft, and military subjects. Basically, they drink a lot of beer, talk about shooter games, and have fun. What's not to love? We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. And the fellas will be back soon. But in the meantime, find them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Savage Actual. Y'all be cool, and we'll see you next time.